grateful hearts today. Lord, we give you praise and thanks on this day. We stand in awe of answered prayer. We thank you for Megan's health, that she is in remission. And Lord, we pray that as her body regains strength, the leukemia stays away, that it does not have any place in her body. And instead, we pray for her platelets to multiply. We pray for her kidneys to function. We pray, Lord, for her to be patient. She so wants to get up and to move, and she just can't. So help her to rest in your love and in your care. We thank you for the good news for Michael that the thing that could have been such bad news turns out to not be. And we are eager to welcome him back to our community this week. And we pray that you continue to keep brain cancer to be a thing of his past. And Lord, what amazing news from Professor Prope. We give you praise and thanks for the way that you have answered the prayers of so many people who said, please, Lord, give him his life. Let him see his little kids grow up. Let him be a husband to his wife. So, Lord, we pray for his treatment to have amazing effect. And we, we like it when doctors are a bit astounded and when something happened that they didn't expect that's really good. And so keep that going. And surround this family with wisdom as they decide if they're going to stay in Houston or come back to Michigan or figure that all out. Lord, you've provided in every way, so give them the trust to know that you will continue to do so. And Lord, we think of our friends who are back from interims abroad and thank you for the time that they had exploring your world and new places and making new friends. And we pray for the many who are traveling back this week that you will give safety to them. Lord, we are very aware that there is danger in travel. And we think of the Walma family, alums, who were killed in that horrible accident earlier this week. And Lord, our compassion is for them and we we know the risks, and so help us to be wise and to be careful. And Lord, we pray for our community. We thank you for the board meeting that happened this weekend. We thank you for good work that was done, for strategic planning that took place, for a vision set. We pray your continued blessing on this college as we look for a provost. Lord, as the committee meets and decides who to bring back for second interviews, we pray that they will be unanimous. They will just know the people that they are supposed to bring back. Lord, this is such an important job, someone who pours into the lives of our faculty members, who pour into the lives of our students. And so help us to make this a matter of prayer. And we pray for all those high school students right now who are where some of us were just a year or a few years ago, trying to decide, where should I go to college? Lord, we want amazing young men and women to join us here in our community. So we pray that you gather them from all corners of this earth and bring them to Calvin so that they can shape us and we can shape them. We pray for a robust incoming class full of grace and truth. And Lord, we pray for your word read and proclaimed tonight. We pray that your Holy Spirit will attend us and will break open our hearts where they need to be broken open and that this old story will be fresh and alive and powerful because of what you are doing through it. We ask your blessing on it now in the name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen. I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 
page 940 in your pew Bibles, 2 Corinthians 5, beginning to read at verse 16, reading 16 through 21, and you may want to keep it open when we're done because we'll be referring back to it in the message. So 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, page 940 in the pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who has reconciled himself to us through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes I think that everyone should be given a medal who survived middle school. Right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because middle school is awful. And it's awful for, you never talk to someone who's like 50 and they look back and they say, middle school, man, those were the best years of my life. It doesn't happen. Because middle school is miserable. Your body's growing in all these weird ways. You really don't understand it. And then you, all of a sudden you realize that some people are cute and you're not really sure what that's about. And other people aren't cute. And then you think, am I cute? And if you're unsure where you fall in the cute to not cute spectrum, there are people who will tell you, <laughs> and not often in a nice way. And you begin to realize that there's like this perfect quartet of things that you need to have in order to succeed in middle school. You have to be cute. You have to be smart. You have to be rich. You have to be athletic. And if you can go four for four, middle school is fine. For most of us, it's like half of one, maybe, <laughs> right? And, and there are these people who, are, who just tell you things, and they say just horrible things to you. Some of you know this. Some of you experience this. You know what it's like when on Tuesday, this particular group of girls is like your friend, and then Wednesday you get to school, and there's like a note on your locker, we're not friends anymore, and you're like, what just happened? I don't understand it. And then like two weeks later, there's like a birthday invitation from these same people. And you're like, I'm so confused. I'm in, I'm out, I'm up, I'm down. I don't understand it. And you try to like add these things that'll give you some status. You know, like what kind of shoes are people wearing? Would that help me? And like, do I look good enough? Do I need to grow my bangs? Do I need to trim my bangs? Do I need to, do I need to shave my head? Would that give me attention? Like what, what do I need to do to gain some significance in this spectrum? What is the logarithm of middle school dynamics and how do I succeed? And it's hard. And there can be things that are spoken to you when you're in middle school that just stick with you. 
A few years ago, I had a senior, a college senior, in my office in tears because she was remembering things that her sixth grade classmates had said to her that had shaped her. They had lodged themselves in her heart and had affected her for all those years. It can be nasty. For the Apostle Paul, his middle school was the church in Corinth. We like to think that when Paul showed up in a particular place, everyone was like, oh, Paul's back! Paul's here! Paul, hey, everybody come over, I'm having a... Paul's back, everybody, he's back, it's awesome! Like he's, you know, Rick Warren on a speaking tour or something, like, like Bishop N.T. Wright is coming down, like, oh, the theologian's in the house, we're gonna have a party, this is gonna be great! It's not what happened with Paul. You see, he planted the church in Corinth, which was a big job in and of itself because Corinth was this cosmopolitan city. It was located in a port city, so lots of trade went through Corinth, and all of the stuff that goes along with that was lodged in Corinth. All of these temples, which were basically brothels, basically fronts for sex trafficking, all through Corinth. And so Paul goes to Corinth, and he gathers a few Jews, and he gathers a few Gentiles who are looking for a different way to live, and he plants this church. And once he thinks it's up and running and it's relatively healthy, he, he goes to Ephesus to visit the people there that he knows. And while he's in Ephesus, he writes back to Corinth, a letter, by the way, that we don't have. He writes back to Corinth just to encourage them, and teach them more, and they write back to him, and they say, um, we're having a few problems. Um, factions are breaking up, you know, people are going against people, and people are, aren't saying great things about you, and also that sexual immorality has come into the church, we need a little help. And so he writes them again, and that's the letter we have as 1 Corinthians. And then he's, he hears more bad things are coming out of Corinth, so he actually goes for a visit, he goes to visit them, and he gets there, and he's like, these are my people, these are the people who are going to love me, and I know them, and I know their story, and he gets there, and they're like, it's like a note on the locker. We're not friends with you anymore. See, these other apostles had come and said some other things, and these other apostles were smarter and better looking. And you think I'm just making that up? This is how he describes how they described him. For they say, this is a Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. That's what they were saying about Paul. So he comes back to his people and they reject him and he goes off, he's so hurt that he leaves Corinth really quickly and he writes them a letter that he describes as writing them in tears, another letter that's been lost. He writes them in tears and then they have a change of heart and say, well, you know, Paul, you're not that bad. Okay, you can come back in. We'll like you again. And then he writes the first chunk of 2 Corinthians, what we have here. And as he finishes it, most scholars believe he was originally going to end it at about chapter 9, he gets word that they don't like him again. And there are all these apostles that are tearing him down and saying, his presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. He's like, oh, man. And so chapters 10, 11, 12, 13 of 2 Corinthians are him defending himself again. 
And it's this back and forth and back and forth, and am I in or am I out? And we can imagine the things the Corinthians would have used about him. We can imagine the stories that they told. Well, you know, he's, he's ugly. He's just not attractive. And you know, he's so boring. He is such a boring speaker that there was this dude who was sitting in a window when Paul was preaching, and he was so bored that he fell asleep and he fell out the window. That's Paul. Do we really want him back? I mean, he is bringing down our cool factor. We do not want that guy back here. We want the good-looking apostles. We want the smart apostles. We want the apostles who have the book tour. That's who we want. We don't want this guy. And did you know that when he first converted, people were scared of him because of what he had done to other Christians? I mean, is this a guy we can trust? So it goes back and forth, and he's in and he's out. Corinthians are like the mean girls. Back and forth and back and forth. Snarky, mean. You're ugly and your speech is contemptible. Now it would be tempting for Paul to say, I'm out. I'm out, Corinth. I'm done with you. I'm going to go back to Ephesus where the people like me. When I left, they cried. I'm going there. So why does Paul stay in this relationship? Why does he stay engaged with people who are so fickle, so back and forth, so seventh grader about the relationship? Why does Paul stick with it? Because Paul actually believes the gospel. Imagine if this this is reality. If these are the Corinthians and his relationship with them, and this is what he writes. From now, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer view him that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away, and everything has become new. Do you get what that meant for Paul? It wasn't like he wrote that like, oh, Corinthians, here's some good news for you. Oh, for you. Here's a little sprinkle of good news for you too. This is really nice. This will be really helpful to you in your life. No, he was hanging out of this for his own life. Because there were things that people could point to and say, Paul, you are not enough. You are not adequate. You are not significant. You are boring. You are nothing to look at. You are wholly unimpressive, and your past, your past is pretty bad. And Paul had to believe the truth of the gospel that God had given him a ministry of reconciliation, which meant that if God had done that for him, Paul now got to do that for other people. Paul got to take that message of reconciliation and send it out toward other people. Paul had to believe with everything in him that this was true, that his past was in the past, that his old stuff was gone, and that he had been made new. He had to believe this for his own sake, and that's why he was able to stay in relationship with the Corinthians. 
because he knew the gospel truth that his past did not disqualify him from the future that God had planned. His past did not disqualify him from the future that God had planned. And neither does yours. Neither does yours. The mistakes you've made, the regrets you have, the things that you would go back and change do not disqualify you from the future that God has planned for you. And some of you, like that senior who was in my room, had horrible things spoken to you at key moments in your childhood, key moments in your development, and some of them were from peers and some of them were from parents who said, you're not good enough. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you dial it up? You are not enough. You will never be enough. And those words, those lies settled deep in you, and they have created a woundedness in you. So when you think about your future, what you think about is not a grand imagining as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, but what you think about are the limits of your past. And that is one of the schemes of the enemy to say to you again and again, those things that were true of you in sixth grade are true of you now. You are not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough. You don't have a best understanding of what you need to understand. You simply are inadequate. You are insignificant. And Paul, more importantly, our God says to us, no, <laughs> no way. If anyone is in Christ, she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. The new has come. And the enemy wants you to sit there and think there are things that are going to drag you down. There are things in your past that you can never let go of. And the gospel truth that Paul had to claim for himself and make the defining mark of his ministry was that that is not true. That the truth is that God can use a boring, ugly theologian like Paul. He can use the likes of us. That's the truth. And the lies that have been spoken about you are lies. And the gospel truth meets up against those lies and crushes them and says, no, 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 no. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You are ambassador for Jesus Christ. And you know what it means to be an ambassador? It means you're sent out. And the ambassador has the responsibility to actually say what the person sending them wants them to say. It's not like, you know, our ambassador to Israel could just say whatever they wanted. They actually have to check that out with, like, the president, Department of State. That'd be helpful. By naming 
himself as an ambassador, by naming us as ambassadors. Paul says God trusts us. He trusts us with this message. He is going to use you to do amazing things. And if you let your past get in the way, then that is the scheme of the enemy. And we need some good gospel to go in there and blow the doors off that lie. You remember when some of you heard Bob Goff? He was here for the January series, for those of you who are abroad, sorry. But one of the things about Bob Goff is that he is the Ugandan diplomat to the United States, right? Tall, white guy, Ugandan diplomat to the United States. And do you remember what he said? He said, I have diplomatic immunity. What does that mean? I could kill you and get away with it. That's what he said. I have diplomatic immunity. I could kill you and get away with it. When it comes to being an ambassador for Christ, you have diplomatic immunity. The enemy can throw whatever kind of garbage he wants on you, and it will slide right off. Those charges don't stick. So if he tells you that you're inadequate, that charge doesn't stick. If he tells you you're not smart enough, that charge doesn't stick. If he tells you you're not pretty enough, that charge doesn't stick. None of those charges stick because you have diplomatic immunity. The blood of Jesus Christ is your shield. And you are protected from those lies. And you are empowered with the ministry of reconciliation. You get to go out and change the world. You really do. I am not making this up. When we talk about Calvin students being agents of renewal, that's not like, a line that we all hope someday comes true. Like, that's happening. Like, that actually happens. Like, people go out and do stuff. Like, they get married to people and they stay with them. And it's amazing. They, like, start nonprofits and pour blood, sweat, and tears so that some child in an inner city in Chicago can get a book. And you think, oh, that's impressive. It's impressive. And from there, that kid learns to read, and that kid's learning, and they bring more kids, and it becomes a thing. But usually when you start, you don't know it's going to be a thing. You just got to be faithful to what God's called you to do right there. Because you don't always know it's going to be a thing. And it starts here. It starts here. It starts by saying, to the people around you. The old has passed away, the new has come. I see beauty in you. I see intelligence in you. I see the light of Christ in you. I see creativity in you. I see joy in you. Instead of the lies of the enemy, we replace them as ambassadors of Christ with grace. And we say, you are beautiful. And when you go shopping, you're beautiful. I don't care what those clothes say. You replace the lies with the truth. And if you have ever, if we have ever spoken a lie that has brought down someone, we repent and we make it right. And if right now you're in a relationship with someone and what it needs is confession and reconciliation you start there being an ambassador of Christ doesn't just happen when we 
head off to Nairobi or Honduras and Tegucigalpa and get to work with Just Society. It happens today. It happens now. Because you are an ambassador of Christ. And you have been trained and you have been equipped and you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to get out and do amazing things. Because your past does not disqualify you from the future that God has planned for you. And it's going to be awesome. Because you have diplomatic immunity. By the blood of Jesus Christ, the lies of the enemy do not stick to you. By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you will do amazing things. This is the truth of the gospel. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we praise you for this good news. And Lord, right now, some of us are sitting here and thinking, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. I don't think that applies to me. And so, Holy Spirit, get in there. Tell them the truth that the old really has passed away. And if you can use someone like Paul, you can use someone like me. Lord, tell us that truth again and again when we wake up in the morning, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that the old has passed away and the new has come, and we are significant, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you have done in us. And we pray against the schemes of the enemy on this campus and around this world that would want us to attach ourselves to the lie. And instead, Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we pray that you will be our shield and our fortress against that. That instead, the truth of the gospel will radiate in us from the inside out so that we can hear the call of the kingdom and go out and do things that we never thought we could do We can dream big dreams and see them happen because of you. Because of you, our past does not disqualify us from the future that you have planned for us. So may we go out, Lord God, and bring you glory. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our reconciler. Amen.